This morning, I'm going to put your uh, trivia knowledge to the test a little bit. Just on people, not just random things, on historical figures. So you guys are going to be trying to guess the name of famous people. I'm going to be giving you various facts about their lives and accomplishments, okay? I'm going to start with more obscure facts, right? The less known things, and then as we go on, I'll give you more and more clear clues so you guys can try to guess. When you think you have a guess, you can just shout it out, and I'll let you know if you're right or wrong, okay? So here comes the first clue. This person was born in a town whose name means house of bread in their native language. No. Gingerbread man. Ooh, gingerbread man. That would have been good. Okay, no. This person was known to speak a few different languages. Everybody I'm talking about is dead. Uh, This person was very famous for his teachings. It is Jesus, yeah. I I didn't want to give it away, because, like, you asked if everybody was dead. I'm like, oh, yeah, he died, but, like, he's not dead. Everybody else is dead, and they're still dead, though, on this list, okay? So, yeah, it was, it was Jesus. The next clue was he was born in the first century, and then he claimed to be the Son of God. Hopefully, at that point, you guys would have gotten it. So, yes, Jesus of Nazareth. Bethlehem means house of bread, by the way. That's where he was born. Okay, so this next person. They were born on January 4th, 1643, in England. Okay. No. <laughs> Uh, not even on the right century, Chuck. Sorry. Uh, this person constructed the first reflecting telescope in 1668. Galileo. Oh, no. No, no. No, not Galileo. Galileo did build a telescope, but not a reflecting telescope. Not Da Vinci, no. Ah, yes. Tom. It's Isaac Newton. Yes, he also invented calculus. Thank you, Isaac. <laughs> Honestly, thank you, but like, for all the people who have to take it, not thank you. Okay, this next person, uh, our next contender, was born in November in 1867 in Warsaw. Okay, they moved to Paris to further the education and become a scientist. Mm-mm. No. They named the element polonium. No. Yes, Marie Curie. She also coined the term radioactivity. She was the first person ever to win two Nobel Prizes. Did you know that? And she also married Pierre Curie. They were both scientists. I don't know if you knew that or not. Okay, the next person here was born in Missouri in 1835. Yes. Good job. Yes, Mark Twain. Wow. Do you know his real name? Yes. Wow. Do you know where the name Mark Twain came from? What? Yeah, water depth. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, instead of twice, it's Twain. And so Mark Twain. He, he really liked being a steamboat operator. He was a steamboat operator and a miner for a little bit. I don't know if you guys knew that. Yeah. 
Well, you probably did, obviously, because you guys got it really fast. Okay, this last person was born in 1457. Okay. What? No. But, good guess. Uh, This person had their nose broken by their rival as a teenager. A rival and, and, and their studies. I can't give that away. It'd be a little too obvious. Uh, they rose to prominence after their first major work uh, was sold as a fraud. They were so good at what they did that someone thought it was very old. No, not Shakespeare. They bought it, and this guy's like, wow, you did a really good job making this look old. Let me hire you to come do some art in Rome. Michelangelo, yeah, you guys got it. It's Michelangelo. I don't know if that's really what he looked like or not. But... <laughs> he's, did you guys know that he was named after a Ninja Turtle? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What are all the... Donatello, Michelangelo... Right, right. We have some... I should ask Ninja Turtle trivia next time. It seems like you guys are better at that than famous people. Whatever the case, your trivia might be. Names are important to us. Obviously, we can remember them. Because they represent a person, right? They, they encapsulate their accomplishments. They, it encapsulates their relationship to other people and to you and other information about them. And for the people we talked about this morning, their names went down in history as people who accomplished a lot or did some very popular things or important things. And this week, we are going to be starting a series on names, because names are important. And we're going to be specifically looking at the names of God, as uh, Joanne uh, alluded to earlier. And depending on how you count them, we're going to be looking at specifically the names of God in the Old Testament. And depending on how you count them, there are over 70 different names associated with God. So we're going to be doing this series for a little over a year. No, just kidding. We're going to go through every single one now. Now, there, there is a proper name for God, and we'll get there in a minute. Tom talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, but there are also other titles and adjectives and verbs even tied together with God's proper name that give deeper context to who he is and what he does. And I think by studying the circumstances by which he got these names and what they mean, I think we can get a full understanding of who our God is. And after all, we've seen that names are important. So let's go ahead and today we're going to be talking about Yahweh Saba. Yahweh Saba. So we're going to start off by talking about Yahweh, first of all. Tom kind of beat me to the punch here, but go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Did you know I was going to talk about this, Tom? Did you, like, read my notes, eavesdrop earlier this week? Did you hack my computer? <laughs> That's true. Exodus chapter 3. So as you guys are turning here, let me introduce you to a man named Moses. You guys maybe have heard of before. Moses was born an Egyptian, but he was actually an Israelite. So uh, he was born into the house of Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, but he knew he was actually a Jew. And so he grew up um, being educated as an Egyptian, but still maintaining his heritage. And one day Moses saw... a a slave driver beating a Jewish man, and he ended up killing the slave driver, this Egyptian. 
And so he was on the run from the Egyptian law. And he was a criminal, so he fled to Midian, which was right next to Egypt. And there he married a lady, and then he started uh, to be a shepherd for his father-in-law. And so while he was in the desert one day, chasing around a stray sheep, Moses happened upon a bush that was burning, which bushes burn. The weird thing was, though, that it wasn't being consumed by the fire. It was just covered in fire, but nothing else was happening, which is weird. If you don't know, that's weird. So Moses approaches to see what's going on with this whole burning bush, not burning thing. And as he approaches, God says, Moses! Wow, that was a cool echo. Moses! And he goes, yeah, I'm here. Here I am. And God asks Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And then God proceeds to ask Moses... Hey, you know when you killed that guy in that that land in Egypt? He's like, yeah, I want you to go back there where you're a criminal, and I want you to set the Israelites free, uh, who are amazing, a a driving economic force in this empire. Also one of the most uh, powerful empires on the planet. You are going to go and set these people free. And he's like, "I, I want you to do this because I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I made a promise to them that I want to keep. And Moses is like, I can't do that. And God's like, yes, you can. And Moses is like, I I don't think so. And God's like, well, I made your tongue, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm all powerful, so you're going to be okay. And eventually Moses agrees, and then Moses asks a really good question. Now that we've gotten to this point where he knows he's going, and he goes, hmm, what do I tell them? So let's look at verse 13 here, Exodus 3, verse 13. Moses said to God, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? Hmm, That's a good question. What shall I say to them? And then God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord your God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. So here is where we get the name Yahweh introduced as the recorded official name of God in Scripture. So in verse 14, God tells Moses that his name is Away Aser Away. I am who I am. And Away is actually the root verb of to be. As Tom said, it's not really the, the exact same as it is in English, but essentially this is where this is coming from. But it actually means more of I will be who I will be, or I am who I am. And this whole name is directly tied to God's character. It's not just like, there's not like an essence of John that everybody who named John has the same thing going on, right? But this is a very unique name where the name is his character. And this means that he is entirely who he is and will be. It's kind of an interesting thing to get your head around, but let me give you a few examples. God is gracious, And as his name implies, he is that. 
He will be that. He has been that. And so he's always going to be and perfectly going to be gracious. God is loving. So he is perfectly forever and always and has been loving because he is who he is. He will be who he is. And that's a big contrast to our humans, right? So let's say, for example, you're looking for a roommate, okay? Like, let's say you bought a new house, and you're like, I need someone to help share this cost. So you put out an ad, and someone uh, takes you up on it, and you meet them over the course of a few weeks. And at first you think, wow, this person is so kind and generous and thoughtful, right? And then they move in, and then a couple months down the road, what do you think about that person? Are they always generous, kind, and thoughtful? No, they're not always those things that you thought they were. If you've been married or in a long-term relationship with someone, when you first meet them, you think they're perfect. Amber is. But for most of you guys out there, when you meet your spouse, you think they're always going to be kind and generous and thoughtful and sweet. Right? And then you marry them, and then you live with them for a while, and you realize... You know, this person isn't always perfectly kind and generous and thoughtful and sweet. That is not the case with God. You see, he is who he is. And will be that forever. And that's what makes him so faithful. Consistency is built right into his name. He is the existing one. He is just is. Without any exceptions. And that is our God. And I think that's actually pretty cool, isn't it? Now in verse 15, God slightly changes his name a little bit so that it makes more sense when it's said out loud. So he changes it from a way, which means I will be who I will be. And he changes it to Yahweh, which means he will be or who he is. So it wouldn't make much sense for Moses walking and be like, okay, God sent me. I am who I am. Moses is talking in the first person. So instead, God says, he is who he is, or he will be who he will be. So this makes a little more sense, right? And this is where we get the name Yahweh. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I'll say it again now. When you see Lord in all capitals in the Old Testament, L-O-R-D, all capitals, it is a stand-in for this name Yahweh. And uh, that comes from a Jewish tradition where the scribes uh, didn't want to mishandle God's proper name and they didn't want to uh, accidentally mess it up or use it improperly. They wanted to keep it holy. So instead they uh, traded in Adonai and we kind of have taken that tradition on, which Adonai means Lord. And so in our English translations, Lord, all capitals, is Yahweh. So when you see that, Lord, all capitals, think it's Yahweh. That's his name. And I also want to mention that you may have heard it pronounced Jehovah or Yehovah, and those are just English transliterations of this Hebrew. And we're not 100% sure all the vowels that were in there, but Yahweh, Jehovah, Yehovah, they're all close enough. What's more important is that you know what the name means, and you know that it refers to the only true living God. All right? Now, on top of Yahweh, we get additional names that appear in really important times in Scripture. And today we're talking about Yahweh Saba, with the T in the front. That's kind of fun to say. Everybody say Saba with me. Saba. Saba. Yeah. 
Okay, so there are many times where Yahweh Saba appears in Scripture, but I want to look at this example in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So go ahead and turn there with me. So as we look into the story, we're going to learn what Yahweh Saba means, and it's going to give us some good context as to its implications. Now, 1 Samuel 17 records the encounter between David and Goliath, a story many of you are probably familiar with. But to summarize, there is this nation called uh, the Philistines who are giving Israelite a hard time, the Israelites a hard time. And so they go to war, and on top of that, there is this giant man named Goliath who is on the side of the Philistines. And he is called their champion, which means he is undefeated in battle. And Goliath was just a little taller than David. Goliath stood around 10 feet tall, and he carried a spear head that weighed 15 pounds. Now, a gallon of water weighs about 8 pounds. So imagine you're holding a two gallons of water out on the end of a 2 by 4 right? Just imagine how hard that would be. This is, gives you an impression of how big and strong Goliath was. And it says that his, uh, the spear shaft was the size of a weaver's beam. Okay, so he, he is this impressively large and strong man, obviously undefeated. And every day, Goliath would stand opposite Israel's army. He would come out, and he would, and he would say this to them. Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, which he felt very confidently wouldn't happen, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Right? So instead of these two wars going head to head and everybody getting killed, Goliath's like, you know, let's just make this easy. You send your best fighter. I'm our best fighter. Whoever wins, wins. All right? And obviously the Israelites were a bit intimidated by this giant man. And so Goliath did this for 40 days with no answer. And then now here comes David. He's a, a young shepherd boy. And he hears Goliath. And he's like, what is going on? He's disrespecting God and his armies. What is anybody, why is no one taking care of this? Like, this is a big deal. And so he just says, I'm going to go face Goliath. And there's this whole promise that whoever defeats Goliath is going to get all this stuff and marry the king's daughter and all that. But he's more worried about him disrespecting God and his armies. So this small shepherd boy goes face to face with this giant with nothing but five smooth stones from a brook in his sling. All right? He tries on some other armor. It's just too big and clunky, and he's never fought with a sword. He's not a fan. So he's like, you know what? God has let me kill bears and lions protecting the sheep with this sling. I can kill this uncircumcised Philistine. He's not, he doesn't even believe in God. No problem. So he walks up there, and this is what he says. Look at verse 43 through 47. The Philistines said to David, so they're standing face to face at this point. <laughs> and Goliath, a little uh, disrespected, he says, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. That's a big mistake. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of Yahweh Saba, the Lord of hosts. 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, Yahweh will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of your armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. And this, and that all his assemblies may know that Yahweh does not deliver by sword and spear, for the battle is Yahweh's and he will give you into our hands. Right? Just like this awesome reply. Goliath like shakes off David. He's like, yeah, you, you're going to die and I'm going to feed you the fields, the birds of the, the air and the, the beasts of the field. And David's like, I don't think so. I have the God of armies on my side. And by the way, you've made fun of him. <laughs> you've taunted him. You've provoked him. What an epic statement, right? Just like, absolutely crushes it when it comes to monologues. Like, that was awesome. Spoiler alert, if you haven't read the story, guess what? God brings David through the battle victoriously. One stone is all it takes, right between the eyes, and boom, Goliath drops. And even, to add insult to injury, David cuts his head off with his own sword. And guess what? The Philistines, the Philistines run. They don't want anything to do with that guy or the God that made it happen. So let's dive a little deeper into this name that David uses for God, Yahweh Saba. Saba is described here in our English translations appropriately. It means hosts, right? And hosts in the Old Testament can refer to a few different things. It can refer to an army of men, can refer to an army of angels, and oftentimes refers to a collection of stars, the, the heavenly hosts, the, the things up there. And God is the God of these hosts. He is the God of the angel armies. So imagine a multitude of angels, these spiritual beings filling up as far as the eye can see, and at the center of them there is God on his throne. And he is their leader. He is their king. He is their God. He is the warrior that leads these armies to defend his people and to carry out his will. It's kind of this amazing description. right? When you actually think about it, imagine as far as the eye can see. Imagine the biggest field you've ever been in, filled with angels, ready for war. And God is at the head of them, leading them in battle. That is what it means to be Yahweh Saba. And the word Saba is used over 400 times in the Old Testament. And over half of these are referenced in God's name. He's often described as, very often, more than any other of these names we're going to be looking at, he's described as the God of armies and the God of hosts. Now, Yahweh is used more than Yahweh Saba. Obviously, there's a lot of other names, but Yahweh Saba is the most popular of these other names we're going to be looking at. And here in 1 Samuel, David knows that this mighty and powerful God is going to deliver him from the hands of this feeble man. He is not a little bit worried about it. With the God of the angel armies on your side, what do you have to fear? And as I was writing the sermon this week, Amber was sitting next to me and she was reading out the book of Amos. Um, and she was listening out loud to it as she was reading. And all of a sudden I heard, Lord of hosts, 
right? And she's like, oh, look, there it is. And so I was like, okay, we, we need to incorporate this then. So I collected a few verses from Amos and elsewhere, put together um, the references of Yahweh Saba to kind of give you an idea of what does God, the angel, the God of angels, yield, uh, wields the power that he has, okay? So here we go. Amos 4.13 says this, For behold, he forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what are in his thoughts. He who makes dawn into darkness and treads on the high places of the earth. That is Yahweh Saba, and that is his name. Pretty cool. <laughs> Amos 9, 5 through 6. Yahweh Saba, the Lord of hosts, the one who touches the land so that it melts. And all those who dwell in it mourn, and all those who rise up like the Nile and subside like the Nile of Egypt. The one who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and has founded his vault dome over the earth. He who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. Yahweh is his name. The one who makes it rain, people. Okay, literally, Yahweh is his name. And then Isaiah 31, 4 through 5 says this. This is what the Lord says to me. As a lion growls, a great lion over its prey, and though a whole band of shepherds is called together against it, it is not frightened by their shouts or disturbed by their clamor. So is Yahweh Saba. He will come down to do battle on Mount Zion and on its heights. Like birds hovering overhead, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Saba, will shield Jerusalem. He will shield it and deliver it. He will pass over it and will rescue it. We get this vivid imagery of this lion who is fiercely, fiercely defending what it is captured, what it owns. And that is what God is like for his people. Because he is the God of angel armies. So these are just a few examples of Yahweh Saba, and I could read you 285 more you wanted. And in these just few examples, we've seen that Yahweh Saba is the powerful creator. He has the authority over the elements of the earth. He knows the thoughts of men. He has the power to destroy and the power to protect. He is fierce like a lion, and he will not back down against anything that comes against him. And I'm not sure about you, but this picture of God, of Yahweh Saba, is awesome. It is inspiring. It is frightening but also comforting. Our God is powerful, yet he is caring enough to protect. He is a warrior that comes to fight for us, but also alongside us. Because sometimes the reality is that God is going to call us into battle. We are going to be facing difficult times. And when we do, God is there with us. So let's look at a few things of application we can take away. Number one, we learn that God's name is his character. All right? Names are important. Yahweh's is the most important. The one who is and will be. He is what he is. He will be what he will be. And his very name inspires consistency and eternity and wholeness. And there is nothing that God is missing. There is nothing that he can't provide 
He is the one who is, who was, and will be. And as we discussed earlier, people change, but God doesn't. And people have good qualities, but they don't always live them out. However, God has the best qualities, and he is always perfect in them. He is predictable in them, which makes him so faithful and trustworthy. Number two, God fights with you, and God fights for you. And we may not think about it often, but God is a warrior. And he is there to fight for us. And like we said, there are also times when we are going to be fighting alongside him. And we should be confident in that, because he is the God over the armies. The angel armies, nonetheless. And the last thing here, I think is really important for us to think about, is that God is not one-dimensional. Right? There are reasons that there are so many different names, compound names for God in the Old Testament. It's because one name isn't enough to convey all of who he is. And I feel like we could make all kinds of, we can make an infinite amount of names for God, and it still wouldn't compensate for who he is. We just can't put it into words. And as we study over the coming weeks, we're going to learn about some of these other attributes and names that he has. And I just think it's so cool that he embodies these attributes, that he's actually named after them. Imagine Sandy the Wise. Like, you were the wisest person ever, and so you're just Sandy the Wise, right? Wouldn't that be cool? Or Victor the Strong, right? You were just the strongest, so that's your name. That is who God is with everything, right? God is unique. And I hope you guys really embrace that, that he is special and holy, and that his names are important. He is our God, too. And he's with us. Let's pray. Yahweh, the God of angel armies, we thank you for being with us and protecting us and giving us strength. I pray that you help us to honor you and remember you and to rely on you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.